All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Delivered by DoorDash. Welcome to episode 99. The Wayne Gretzky edition of the DFO Rundown. I was debating, but yeah, it's kind of hard to use anyone else other than uh, the great one, Wayne Gretzky. I'm Jason Greger alongside uh, Frank Saravalli. And uh, Frankie, how you doing? How's your weekend? How you feeling? I'm doing okay. Um, honestly, I thought I was, you know, on the path to being fully past COVID and there's something about this thing, man. I don't know. Last night it hit me again. Uh, I don't know if you want to call it the second wave, but a little shortness of breath, like the cough came out of nowhere. It's COVID's not fun. I'm sure if you've had it and you're listening, you're, you're nodding along as I say that, but, uh, yeah, I, I certainly hope this is now day seven. I hope to be feeling a bit better than I am at this point. So safe to say, Frank, it's it's not like the common cold or flu for you. <laughs> no, I, I mean it, it really hasn't been. It's it's the um, it's the for me it's the laboring to breathe that's the issue. And like obviously, yeah. I've kept an eye on my my numbers and to see where I'm at. It's just like I I, I can tell my body is working a lot harder to breathe, which when you're laying in bed at night is actually pretty scary. Oh, hundred percent, man. Well, hopefully, 
Hopefully uh, it, it gets better every day. Uh, gl- happy to hear that uh, your wife's doing doing better, and so that's good news. And uh, hopefully you'll be on the uh, the road to recovery very quickly. Um, we got lots. By the way, going this on is to- our last our last num- named edition. What are we gonna do when we get to one hundred? Yeah, and we'll just have to make up names. Yeah, we'll make <laughs> up names. So that'll be nice. Maybe we'll just start at like one hundred and one. Sure, I know it's uh, kind of fun. You have to change up. We'll come up with something. Um, yeah, it's kind of crazy. It's already 99 time flies. Um, the, uh, we'll, we'll get to the NHL and, and stuff in a second, but uh, of course, you know, another instant and it's, you know, it's happened to the AHL, it's happened to the CHL now. And Jacob Pineda's, um, with Jordan Subban, you know, making a racial gesture, saying some racial things, uh, you know, allegedly based on the story and, uh, obviously PK Subban, it's his brother. He's come out and, um, they spoke very candidly about this. And I think it's one where, you know, some people say, oh, it's hockey culture. Yeah, it's part of hockey. But sadly, it's a bigger part of society because people still feel it's it's OK to do it in a different walk of life. You can talk to people uh, of color and they'll tell you, trust me, they're not only hearing it in hockey arenas. They're hearing it in lots of places around. And it's just a reminder that uh, we've, we've some of us have a, a long way to go still in, in understanding how to treat people uh, regardless of who they are with respect. I think that actually includes all of us. Like, it feels like we all have a long way to go because I've had some of these same conversations with people of color and, you know, expressing the surprise on my part saying, like, I can't believe it's 2022 and these things are still happening. And they're like, get with it, man. Like, this is all over the place in all walks of life, at the rink, at the gas station, at a restaurant, doesn't matter, the grocery store, wherever you are these things are happening. They're being said, um, it, you know, it, and it goes way beyond things just being said in words. It's, um, it's unbelievable to me. Um, but again, we haven't, you know, you and I haven't been in that spot where we're living it and feeling it. So it's hard to understand sometimes. And, you know, this whole thing that played out over the weekend, like it's, it's, it's really difficult. You know, you hear Jordan Subban and his side of the story, you, you understand from his perspective, having watched the video, what he's seeing and feeling and how he's reacting. And then you see Jacob Panetta's version and you're like, well, that's, there's something there too. Like that, that seemed like a genuine emotional response. And it wasn't one of those responses like, Oh, I got caught. So here I am. And I'm emotional. Yeah. This is a tough one to sift through, but at the same time, you know, and I think you had made this point offline before we just started was this just everyone in the hockey world saw the 30 game suspension that was handed out over the weekend, uh, right before the weekend started actually in the AHL for the exact same type of gesture. It's on you to not put yourself in that spot. If you want to make the tough guy, bodybuilder type flex like Jacob Panetta says that he did. Well, then you got to go like this. You got to have your arms over up top and you're flexing muscles that way. Anything else. And and you're putting yourself in a spot where it can be construed as something else. Yeah. And frankly, when you're doing it to a player of color, you don't deserve the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. It's, it's one where, you know, you, you got to live with your actions. And um, you know, I, I saw his his uh, apology and it, it seemed genuine, but 
You know, there's, I've, I've always been one where that can be genuine, but at the same time, th- th- there does need to be some consequences f- for actions. And I think that, um, you know, you, you got Harabek in, uh, from the San Jose Barracuda, Frank. I know you tweeted out his response. He said, you know what? It's all on me. He didn't, he didn't make an excuse or anything. He just said, you know what? Bad judge of character, everything else. It's not who I am, but uh, I, I accept it. And there was not trying to to pass the buck or come up with anything else. And to be fair, though, that actually like the debate had gone on for a while in AHL circles beforehand. We haven't seen video of that incident. Apparently, those who who have say that it's it's less damning than the one that uh, that it was circulated with Jacob Panetta. And, and that incident occurred on the 12th. It took them like 10 whole days to issue a suspension. Yeah. Well, obviously this is not, it's not easy to sift through. That's my point is, is, you know, I think we're long past the point though, where people can claim ignorance to it. Oh yeah. Like, I don't know what, what you'd have to be living under a pretty big rock to, to not understand uh, where we're at today. And so, um, you know, for, for people out there, everybody listening, anybody, you know, hockey fans are one thing, but I think just in general in society, overall, people have to, to recognize that it, it's, it's everywhere. It's not, we shouldn't be, sh- probably shouldn't be surprised it happens in the hockey world. Cause it happens everywhere. You've seen it, you know, it'll happen. Talk to people on the street in the grocery store at a nightclub at university at college. Like, I, I don't know if there's, a position heck it happens in communities and neighborhoods unfortunately like i'm not sure there's any place where it doesn't happen so it's a, it's a constant reminder that there there's still a long ways to go when ignorance and, and hate can can take a long time to eradicate it's a shame and i you know i i i guess when it comes when these two incidents come on the heels of Willie O'Ree's Jersey retirement, you know, finally being honored like years later after he should have been for being the first player to break hockey's color barrier and Martin Luther King day in the same week. And then just a few days before that, the hockey diversity Alliance with their campaign tape out hate, like with all the awareness and all the conversation of it, I, I, it's it's unfathomable to me that we're then now having these conversations over the weekend about two separate incidents, not far apart, you know, in, in minor league professional games. So if this is happening in minor league hockey venues with cameras rolling with thousands of people seeing it, what do you think it's like for the kid in a local arena that's hearing it? It's it just tells you how much more it's happening in places where it's not as visible, uh, unfortunately, that, you know, people and and especially kids are being subjected to. And uh, so hopefully it uh, uh, slowly get to ideally it'd be great if it was quick. But I think history will tell us that it's not going to be quick. It's got to be a day by day thing. And hopefully it gets better and you know, we'll see where we go from here. Um, moving on to a, to a different story of one that's, that's pretty positive. Uh, something that Frank, I think a lot of people were, were maybe unsure it would ever happen, but uh, tonight Keith Yandel has the opportunity to tie Doug Jarvis for most consecutive games played at uh, 964 and then likely will break the record later this week. Uh, you had an interview with uh, Doug Jarvis at uh, dailyfaceoff.com. And you know what? Uh, this is truly remarkable, especially because last year, you know what? The, there, was, there was almost a, you know, an outcry from teammates because Keith Yano was almost a healthy scratch. 
That isn't even the most remarkable part. I mean, honestly, you can talk about the healthy scratch that almost happened, the, the healthy scratch that did happen in the playoffs that didn't impact the streak. You can talk about injuries that he's avoided. To me, the, the miracle in this streak is COVID-19. You think about this year alone, yes. 75% of the league has tested positive for COVID-19 and has entered the protocol. That's this season. If you were to factor in the math from last season as well, you know, the percentage of players that have tested positive has to be some 90 some percent. I, I would have to think the fact that Keith Yandel avoided it the entire time, or, or maybe who knows, maybe he tested positive in the off season at some point has avoided it. His roommate, Kevin Hayes tested positive right before Christmas. He still didn't test positive. Um, it, it's fascinating that, Keith Yandel has arrived at this point, 964 games played. As you mentioned, he can match the record tonight against the Dallas stars. He can break it on Tuesday night against the New York Islanders become the NHL's new iron man getting a chance to talk to Doug Jarvis yesterday, just a really kind, kind man. Um, he's, he's excited. He's happy for Keith Yandel. He said, uh, you know, to him, he's really surprised that, it's lasted 35 years. I mean, Jason, there was talk a few years back that this record might be unbreakable. Um, and, and the way the sport honors toughness and grit that this is really one of the game's celebrated records of all time. You know, you can talk about the 61 records that Wayne Gretzky holds. This one is up there in terms of one that's talked about. And for Keith Yandel to have this opportunity, pretty incredible. Uh, Doug Jarvis is, is ready and, and happy to pass the torch. He said he's going to, uh, to communicate directly and, and reach out to Keith Yandel and congratulate him. And, you know, he just said for him, he, he started at the age of 20, broke into the NHL with the Montreal Canadians, went straight through 964 games. And at the end of it, was a healthy scratch. His career's over from age 20 to 32. And that was it. Uh, he said, I, I just wanted to play. Uh, you know, I, I wanted to be in the lineup for every game and, you know, somehow they just added up. That's how he looked at it. It was never a record that he was out to, to set uh, from Gary Unger. 914 is when he passed him. And, you know, for him, it was just something that happened. And now for Keith Yandel, this has been, I think something that's been in his, uh, you know, been in his windshield, uh, something that he's been looking at and chasing for a long time. Well, speaking of Gary Unger, Frank, do you know the story of how his game streak ended? Uh, Gary Unger was injured. He had a shoulder injury, if I'm not mistaken. Well, well, the story he told me was that uh, back when he played, and and, and I guess, you know, some stories I had to get confirmation that back then when you dressed in the game, if you didn't touch the ice, even if you were dressed, but you didn't touch the ice, it wasn't considered a game played. And uh, one night he got dressed and uh, he didn't touch the ice. And that's how his streak ended at 914. Now, maybe he had a shoulder injury and that's why I didn't play. But uh, he told the story to me on my, I was coach. Uh, you know, the guys on the team were like, go. And uh, he didn't go. And that's how his streak ended. Now, oh, I, you know, I, I was reading up on this yesterday. That's the only reason I could even answer your question. It was 1978, I believe, that he set the record and or that the streak ended and it said in the story that i read that which didn't send him out there because he couldn't do it 
Yeah. Well, that was that was in 1979-80, right? Because uh, he played uh, he played every game at the end of the 78-79 season with the Blues. He played all 400 uh, games in the last five years at 80 games back when it was an 80-game season. And then he missed one game in 1979-80 with the Atlanta Flames. But think about it. The game was almost over. All you had to do is give him one shift. All you had to do is literally go over the board, step on the ice, because he, he played 79 of 80 games that year. Okay, right? but was, it's only one more game. Yeah. No, no, no. Okay. But that, but, but think about it. That Frank, he was up to eight ninety three at the end of the 78, 79 season. Right. And then it was up to eight to nine fourteen. That was game 21. That was the only game he technically didn't play that whole year. You tell me at some point in the game, you can't just give him a 10 second shift. Yeah. Like I could no, see why he's annoyed. Yeah. yeah. So it's a crazy one because if you think about that, had let's say his coach played him that game, because it would have been, he was at eight ninety three when the season started. He would have finished at 973. So, yeah, I mean, maybe we're still talking about Gary Unger, but yeah. I think either way, Keith Yandel probably ends up breaking 973 too. Oh, the way he's going, Keith Yandel could play a thousand consecutive games. A consecutive. Could. See, here, here's where the, the conversation really gets interesting to me. I think when it's all said and done, Keith Yandel isn't going to be the record holder. I think it's going to be Phil Kessel. Oh, Phil yeah, Kessel Philly's- is only 23 games behind him. He's at yeah. 940. And I guess the question is, who do we think is going to have the longer career? Who's going to be able to, you know, it could end at any, any moment, I guess. Um, and, and I think if, if we're being honest, and if you've watched the Flyers this season, I think Keith Yandel would have been a healthy scratch already had he not had this streak going. Yeah, well, that's fair. He um, has really struggled at times this year. He's had a couple games minus four, like really, really struggled. And and if it, if not for the streak, my my bet is they would have taken him out. Well, the fact that Phil Kessel owns the streak that would be the greatest because there were so many people that at, at times you know made jokes about because he, he ate a hot dog, yippee, and uh, you know that he wasn't. It's not even true. I, I know way. it's not true. It's ridiculous. That's the best part. Is, yeah. is, and then that, that what I love the most about Phil is that he played it up. Like the photo yes. at the golf course with two hot dogs in the cup is like among the best ever. Yeah. Oh, you know what? Uh, and Phil is just the, the, the great example of you don't have to be, have a six pack to, to be in really good shape and condition. And, you know, he, he obviously uh, trains well enough and, you know, a little bit of luck, of course, to play that many games without just a nagging injury. And he's obviously played hurt at some point. There's no question. There's, you know, so, but Keith Deano, that's amazing, man. Good on he Doug also, Jarvis. He got some help along the way. Obviously, you, you know, we talked to Andrew Cogliano on, on one of our pods over the summer. Oh. Cogliano would have busted the record by now yes. as well. He was at 830. He was like way ahead of Keith Yandel. He was 145 games ahead of Keith Yandel. Worst uh, suspension ever. Yeah, that two-game suspension. I, you know, I was thinking about reaching out to Andrew Cogliano just to get, you know, a quote from him or some thoughts on Keith Yandel breaking the record. And I was, I thought better of it. I was like, you know what? I, you know, I'm sure that's one that probably bothers him a bit. Oh, I've talked to, to Andrew about it and he, and, and you know what? And he is a very calm guy, but if there's one thing that just, it irritates him because he never played that way. And if you go back and watch the play, I don't even think it was suspendable. That was the crazy part about it. Like here's a guy who's never done anything and you suspend yeah, him two games. I don't know. I, I, I wrote about it. I watched it at the time and I was like, that would be a suspension for anyone. That's you think the way it was? I it. Yeah. yeah. I watched that play. I didn't think so. But anyway, um, 
So uh, Keith Yandel, that, that's one of the few positives, Frank. Uh, you, you still had one of the best tweets I've seen in a long time uh, earlier when you tweeted about the Flyers having two 10-game winless streaks in the same season. That's up to 11 now. Um, how long do they think they just ride this season out with Mike Yo and they look to hire a coach in the offseason when there's more candidates available? Because it's what's clearly the, not working with him either. What's the reason to what's – the, what's the push to do it now? Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. The Flyers are now dead last in the Metro yeah. on points percentage and, and, and frankly on points too. They've played seven more games than the New York Islanders and have the same number of points. Yeah. It's been ugly for them. Like they've been, I think they've been the most disappointing team in the NHL. I didn't think that they would be dominant and win their division, but I thought they'd be a legit con- playoff contender and, and maybe even get into the playoffs. And they really haven't been close all year, Frank. Yeah, I kind of saw them in that four or five spot in the Metro, somewhere competing in that range, four, five, six, you know, knocking on the door at least. A lot of ill-timed, or I don't even, I don't think ill-timed is the proper phrase, poor decisions that were made. I mean, the Rasmus Ristolainen trade is really going to come back to haunt them, the assets that they gave up. I mean, they they don't have their first round pick this year. Um, you know, the Ryan Ellis trade and the term that that's left on that deal, the Atkinson for Voracek deal has been fine. Um, I think a lot of people would say, look at the season Jake Voracek's having, maybe he didn't make the right choice, but I think Cam Atkinson. And when you make that decision to, uh, to add a little goal scoring punch instead of playmaking prowess, I'm never going to fault anyone for that, but I, I don't, uh, they got the goaltending finally that they really wanted and needed. Carter Hart has not been the issue. The issue has been with the team. So the problem with the Flyers is I don't know where they go from here. There's no easy fix. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I thought they would be much better defensively and, and overall. Claude Giroux. Now I counted he can play a thousand games with the Flyers before the NHL trade deadline. Do you think yeah, it's, it's he, early he waves it? And do you think there is there's an appetite for him to be like other teams want to acquire him despite his major cap it? Well, I know there's teams that want to acquire him that much. I'm certain on. Um, I think the bigger question is, is, is Claude Giroux ready to go? And I would think that a thousand games kind of puts a really nice bow on what has been an underrated career in this market. At least Claude Giroux is not. For whatever reason, fans in this market have clashed with Claude Giroux for a long time, mostly because since he was named captain, the Flyers haven't won a playoff series. And and that's really ultimately what you're judged on here, where winning had been such a an expectation for so long, uh, given all the success that the Flyers have had in, in their franchise history. And the guys delivered. That's the thing. I mean, you look at it. One, two, three times Claude Giroux has been in the top five in Hart Trophy voting since he was named captain. I mean, how much more do you want from him? He's one of the leaders in points since he was named captain. He is the leader in the NHL in power play points, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, I don't know what more you can ask from the guy who competes every night. So what is exciting for me, if you're a team that wants to acquire him, is the idea that you can take all the pressure off. He's had this focal point, this focal pressure since he really became captain at a young age. And 
if you can take that pressure off and say, you can be a, you know, a second line winger for us. Well, all of a sudden, I just think he's going to be that much better than he already is. Yeah. And uh, just one quick one. The Flyers do have their first round pick this year. They gave up their first rounder last year for uh, Reese Linen, the 14th overall pick. So, yeah, um, got it. Just before all the Flyer fan texts and they're like, what? We don't have our pick. No, no, no. The Flyers do have uh, their pick. And right now it's uh, it's trending to be a top 10 pick. And who knows where the season ends? Maybe it'll be a top five uh, by that point. But so they don't have a lot. They don't have a lot else. You're speaking of picks. There's not a lot coming in their pipeline that you can point to and say, Oh, well, at least this part is exciting. Yes. No, it's totally fair. So when you look at, um, he'll be on uh, close, I think, near the top of your trade board then, for sure, as we get uh, closer to the uh, draft, as uh, we end uh, quickly, and then we'll get to Tyler Ramchuk. Do you have um, any other names for fun, Frank, now you've been uh, sitting at home uh, just trying to breathe, um, <laughs> that, uh, that will jump to the top of your trade board? Not really at the moment. I, I you know, we've talked about, JT Miller, a bunch. Um, we talked about Arturi Lekkinen last pod. Yeah. That, that seemed to generate some buzz. Um, the Chicago Blackhawks guys that I mentioned on radio, you know, my understanding with the Blackhawks is they are, it's basically anyone other than Kane Taves and, and Seth Jones are potentially available. I think the price would be extremely high for Alex to bring it. I think it would be very high for Brandon Hagel. You know, I, I think there's other guys that they'd consider moving as well. You know, the Kuba leaks, the, you know, go down the list. We've talked, you know, for a long time about the other players that they've been trying to move for a bit. Um, Strom, Borgstrom, all them. So I think the Blackhawks are open for business. Um, I just think that the price to get someone that scores like, to brink it does even with a reasonable cap it next year. And his real cash goes to $9 million uh, as he enters the last year of his deal next year. It's, it's a very expensive acquisition price. So is he actually available? I mean, I, I guess it depends on what you're willing to pay. Yeah. Um, another, Hey, if everybody was available, Jake McCabe is still a defenseman that, uh, that, that I would consider, I, I would guess the price would be, uh, would be rather high to acquire him. Uh, let's bring in uh, Tyler Uremchuk for another edition of buy or sell. Yes. Ty, another, hey, before we get to that, uh, before yeah, we get to right, that, we go. Ty, that was maybe the greatest football game that I've watched. And I know it, it ended oh, yeah. poorly because you're a bills fan, but Honest to goodness, that was one of the most electrifying games. And as I'm watching it, I'm like, watch this. Whoever wins the coin toss wins the game. And so, Joe, I've said it before. It is the one rule that the NFL should change. You're in the playoffs and a coin flip. And everyone will say, well, your defense has to stop them. But yeah. the offenses had all the momentum on both sides. They were unstoppable. Yeah. I'm sorry. Get the ball. You, you can't kick off and not take some time off the clock. That no, was, like, that was it wouldn't have made a difference. It would have taken five, six seconds off. Have you, have you just put the ball on the ground on the kickoff? So all of a sudden, you know, Mahomes is dealing with like eight or six seconds. Instead, you, you get one play instead of two. I, I still think like you kick it off, you give him a chance to run it back. And what if he does? And then everyone's sitting there going, God, what are you stupid? There was only 13 seconds left. Why would you even give him a chance to run it back? Why give him that free run? It's hindsight. It's whatever. That's just, ah, it sucked. It sucked, but it was a fun game. Dude, um, you must have been literally like, 
When Davis scored his fourth touchdown, you must have got, you thought for sure you won. I would oh, think yeah. at that point. Yeah. You thought, I thought it was, it was over. over. That was the should. second time he thought he won. Yeah. Oh. It was, there was a tweet where it was like, oh, careful. Allen might have given too much time to Mahomes, who very well might give too much time back to Allen, who still might give too much time back to Mahomes. It was just unreal. Um, yeah. It's a great football game. Great football game. Uh, let's get into the hockey talk, though. Buy or sell this week is brought to you by DoorDash. Ding dong. Look at that. How about that for a fancy little production value? They're throwing in the ding dong. <laughs> that was all Frank's idea, actually. Uh, promo code rundown DD gets you 25% off and no delivery fees on your first order. And I saw this as a commercial. You can get like dog food on DoorDash now. You can like order from PetSmart or wherever the pet store is. You can get that on DoorDash. So if you're ever at home and you're like, out of cat or dog food, you can order it on DoorDash, which okay. I found. I was, I was hoping you were saying it's for your dog, not for people. To eat. <laughs> Solving all the world's problems. DoorDash. Uh, all right. We a uh, little bit of chatter over the weekend, and I guess over the last week about uh, Coyotes defenseman Jacob Chikrin seems to be a little bit more uh, smoke around his name. Buy or sell Chikrin being moved by the end of February, Frank? I don't know. Um, okay. I'm going to sell Okay. the only thing that I, you know, I was thinking over the weekend and, and certainly it, I don't think this is on the reporter, but if the coyotes had an offer on the table that met all or checked all of the boxes that they set out to get, why isn't the deal done? Mm. That was my only question. So do I believe there's significant interest in, in Jacob Chikrin? Yes. I, I'm still not, Still not understanding it from the Coyotes' perspective. Maybe I will once I see the deal. That's totally valid because uh, I'm like, you're trading a young defenseman who has a really good contract and he's a really good player for for what? More prospects? Like it? If they do that, then I don't really understand. How can you be? Then you're not in a rebuild. You're just in a we're going to lose all the time and pray that our young guys are all winning. But that being said, I'm going to buy because I don't necessarily agree with the direction the organization's going. Fair enough. This one, this next one, this is a bit of like a water cooler debate that I was having over the weekend with a friend who's a Leafs fan, but Morgan Riley is playing some great hockey as of late. He's seventh in scoring amongst defensemen. Buy or sell Morgan Riley as a top 10 defenseman in the NHL. Jason? It's tough. Like you kind of start going through the names and you're like, okay, like Fox, Hedman, Yossi, Makar, Ekblad, and then you kind of go like, oh, maybe, maybe he does sneak into the top 10. Well, he, I'll say he's playing like one this season. It's, it's hard, I think, because you know what? After maybe the top five, you get to certain guys who, if they're having a good year, they can easily be in the top 10. Like Devin Taves, I would have in the top 10 this year, the way he's playing. He, he's been, you know, he's been outstanding. Um, you know, I would uh, I probably would what's, say I would what's probably the criteria. Say no. Like, is this, what are there 10 players that you would pick on your team before Morgan Riley? Yeah, like before Morgan Riley, would you, are there 10 defensemen in the league that you would rather have on your team than Morgan Riley? Yeah. Just so I'll up. say no, but that does, you know what? It's, it's, it's subjectable. It's who likes yeah. who on different guys. Morgan Riley to me is, is a very, very good defenseman. And, and I would argue that maybe this has been his best year that, that maybe that he's played in Toronto and he's been good before. He's just been excellent this season. Mm-hmm. I'm going to sell. Um, I, I just can come up with way more than 10 guys that I would pick before Morgan Riley. All right. And it's not, it's not a knock on him. I think he's had a great season, but 
Yeah. You know, if, if you're talking about where Morgan Riley slots in terms of the number one defenseman in the league, he's like 17, 15. He's like in the 15 to 17 range, I think. All right. Another thing I found interesting, Tony D'Angelo top 10 in defenseman scoring this year as well for the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, next you, one. I You don't have to go var- very far down the list. Like no. in terms of scoring, Dougie Hamilton, Jacob Slavin, Drew Doughty, um, you know, uh, you'd still take Doughty over Riley. Yes. But Drew Doughty is a really good, He's having player. a good year. Yeah. Alex Petrangelo. I would take I Shea would, yeah. Theodore over, over yes. Morgan Riley. Like there's a whole list of people. Quinn Next Hughes. One. I would take, potentially. you would take Quinn Hughes over Morgan Riley. Oh. I don't think, I think that's where I would probably draw the line. Yeah, I, I wouldn't not, not yet. Hughes, Hughes doesn't defend. Have you watched Quinn Hughes the last 20 games? No, he's great. Riley's been playing great the last 20 games too, though. Yep. All right. Uh, the next one I got here, we have a bunch of guys hitting the 20 goal mark already this season. Uh, kind of going in reverse order here. You got Forsberg, Stamkos, Marchand, Rantanen, Meyer, Gensel, Hurdle, Troy Terry, Kyle Connor. Then you got Brinkett, Matthews, Drysaddle, Kreider, and Ovechkin. And then you have, a, you have six other guys who are already at 19 goals and they're not even close to the halfway point of the season. So my question to you is, over under 14 and a half 40 goal scorers this season. Cause right now, I mean, you already got 14 guys who are pretty clearly on pace for it. I mean, 14 and a half over under 40 goal scorers, Jason. See, I hate myself for saying uh, under right now because I love offense. I mm-hmm. just goal scoring historically every year slows down in the second half of the season. So Ovechkin, Kreider, Dreisaitl, Matthews, you know, Debrinkat, Kyle Connor. I think those guys are for sure going to get to 40. Um, then like, is San Jose going to have two guys at 40 Meyer and hurdle? Like, I don't know, man, that's, that's a pretty big ask. I think Rantanen will get there. Um, Stamkos probably scored 60 before, but yeah, I will go under. I just think it's too hard to maintain in the second half. Yeah, I mean, you're right on the, the line of delineation there at 14. There's 14 on pace for it right now, right? How many are on pace for there, it right now? There's 14 who are at 20 goals, but then there's another six who are at 19 and haven't played half their games yet. So you yeah, could argue. 20 guys. On, yeah, there's probably over 20, 20 guys were close. Yeah, yeah like but McDavid. I think there's some of the guys that are at 19. Like you said, McDavid. I think Barkov, gets, he'll get there. Pasternak's really heating up. Yep. I could see Matthew Kachuk getting really close. I could see Kirill Kaprizov. He's at 17. Yeah, I could yeah. see him getting to 40. I'm going to, I'm going to buy, I'm going to take it. Uh, I also think we have more 50 goal scorers than we ever usually do in a season. So on that yeah. math, I'm in looking, I look back at the last kind of 82 game seasons we, uh, we had, and in 2016, 17, we only had three guys get to 40 goals and none got to 50 in 2017, 2018. I think we got to eight that managed to get to the 40 goal mark. And then back in 2019, 20, we actually did get 13 players who hit the 40 goal mark. So it should be interesting. Two guys that year hit 50. I wonder if we'll see a third do it. Uh, our points bet bonus question. I actually had this one loaded up football question. Who's your Super Bowl matchup? Frank. You got Kansas City, KC, or sorry, Cincinnati, KC on one side, LA, San Fran on the other. I think it's KC, San Fran. Ooh. I, but I had San Fran, like I said, San Fran last week when I was at the barber shop. So they beat the Packers. <laughs> I'm, I'm taking them. At the barber shop. 
I did. No, uh, the, my barber is cutting my hair. He goes, what are you who, coming who you, to America right now? I love it. He goes, who, who, he goes, who do you think wins? And I said, uh, I said, I, I think San Fran's playing in the Super Bowl. He's like, seriously? And I was like, yeah. Okay. I like that. They've really dominated the, the series against the Rams lately, but uh, I'm going to go with the Rams and the Chiefs. All right. Rams and the Chiefs. Interesting stuff. Yeah, I think uh, I think it'll be Rams and Chiefs as well. It's boring because they are the two favorites on points bet. KC plus 120 to win the Super Bowl. LA plus 210. And that is going to put a wrap on another edition of Buy or Sell delivered by DoorDash. Oh, you guys love that doorbell. You've just been waiting to add that all year long. I love it. I love it. Um, Frank, uh, over the weekend, uh, we were able to uh, catch up with the uh, head coach of uh, Team USA. Uh, Joel Johnson uh, did an interview with him. Of course, the uh, the women's hockey team is uh, is setting off. Uh, they're in L.A. Uh, they're going to L.A. today, and then they uh, head to Beijing on Thursday and uh, I think Canada US at the at the Women's Hockey Olympics is going to be must watch television and uh, here is that uh, interview with the uh, head coach who's got pretty unique uh, coaching background. Hey, very special guest we welcome to the DFO rundown. He is currently the uh, head coach at St. Thomas University and also a pretty big gig. He's the head coach of the Women's National hockey team for Team USA as they are heading off to the Olympics for uh, an opportunity to defend their gold medal. Joel Johnson joins us. Joel, welcome to the DFO Rundown. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, busy days here uh, as we're preparing for for the uh, upcoming uh, Olympic Games, but uh, but um, really just uh, excited to be able to be on and, and thank you for having us or me and, and us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's good. Well, hey, we'll get to the Olympics in a sec, but I was doing some research looking at your coaching career and, it, and it's pretty fascinating. You started out at Bethel University back in 2000. You were the head coach of the women's hockey team. You're the head coach of the men's hockey team. You're the, also the head coach of golf, men and women, and the soccer team. How the hell you do all of these at one time? Let's go back to Bethel in 2000. You must have just been a young coach who was just eager to do anything. Yeah, you know what? I tell you what, uh, people always ask me, you know, how do you get to, you know, wherever you want to get to as a coach? And I, I've, I've always just encouraged people say yes to everything. Um, you know, I, I got my start, you know, as a JV high school girls hockey coach and then you know, boys, baseball and, and soccer and, and, and hockey and, and everything. And then I, I, I landed in the college role and, and I'll tell you what, um, you know, coaching is coaching. Um, you're, you're coaching athletes, you're teaching people the, the, the subject changes, right. It could be hockey, could be golf, could be anything. And certainly, uh, you know, I, I, become more aware of my own strengths and weaknesses. I might be better at, uh, at one subject more than another. Um, but I'll tell you what, uh, I, I love the, the background of division three athletes and coaches because you do everything, you know, you're the athletic trainer, you're the academic counselor, you're the head coach, you, you drive the bus sometimes you do everything. And I think there's an appreciation and, and a real um, expectation of excellence because there's no excuses at that point. And so uh, I think that that's, what's helped me as I've gone forward in my coaching career and reached uh, some pretty uh, unique opportunities now with, with uh, in women's hockey at the division one level and, and certainly with the national team level, but I've never forgotten uh, the fact that, 
you know, you, you still aren't as you, you still got to shovel the snow at some point. You still got to push pucks. You still have to clean the locker room and vacuum up the coach's room and and run to subway and get the team meal and, and whatnot. I think that's what, what makes uh, that, that part of it so special. And I think, uh, I think that's what makes the best coaches the, the ones that understand that it's servant first and leader second. When you coach soccer and hockey, and I'll use those two first because they're both team sports, right? So you're devising a strategy. It's obviously a little bit different of a, of a game. I played both. I really love both. Was there benefits? Like, Did coaching soccer make you a better hockey coach in some instances and vice versa? And if so, how? Yeah, absolutely. It did. I, you know, I steal drills from each side. You know, I, I, I run hockey drills that we ran as a soccer program. You know, obviously you tweak it and you, you change it, you, you manip manipulate the, the configuration. But but I, I think, you know, to your point, uh, the idea of it being a team sport where you're reliant on other people and soccer and hockey are a good a good example of a, a game that transitions from offense to defense and everybody has to be on the same page at the same time. You know, football is a different one where you've got pretty selected offense and defensive roles. But, you know, sports like basketball and hockey and soccer and others, you've got to go quickly between one and the other. And so I think that the best players, the best tactics allow you to be great defensively, which leads to your greatness offensively. And same thing, you know, on the other side. So so I certainly think there's been some uh, so, some more importantly roles in, in, on, uh, in learning opportunities for me dealing with athletes but also on the game side of it, uh, tactics and techniques. Uh, it's, it's been, uh, it's been fun to, to kind of go back and forth between a bunch of sports. And when you were coaching golf, it's much more of an individual sport, right? Like I know at the college level, you're still a team, but a lot of it's on the individual. There's no, Hey, you know what? Uh, if, if I'm not putting today, well, maybe my partner can help me out. You know, it's not really going to work that way. How golf and like, there's a lot of people who play hockey who play golf. Right. So I, I consider certain mechanisms that are simple, but the coaching element of it must've been completely different. Yeah. You know, my, my, my best analogy to that or best story to that is, um, you know, there, there's all kinds of great, you know, hockey players that can play golf because of the, the, you know, some people call it the hip transfer, you know, you take a slap shot, you can swing a golf club, whatever it is. Um, but my favorite coaching story is I was on the green with, with an athlete, student athlete. And, uh, and he said, you know, what do you think is this goal a couple inches left or a couple inches, right. And that, that, that. we, we had a, a discussion and finally I turned to him and I said, Hey, be an athlete and make the putt, put the ball in the hole that like, that, that's it. And, uh, and he still tells a story that that solidified in his mind, like at some point as an individual athlete, you just have to get it done. And I think that does translate into hockey in certain aspects, whether it's a face-off, maybe a shootout, um, whatever you, you, you know, maybe a goaltender position where you're isolated and all yeah. of a sudden the best coaches aren't trying to teach you techniques or not giving you tactics. They're just saying, Hey, trust your instincts. You've been here. You've prepared for this moment, be an athlete and get it done. And, uh, and so that that's my favorite part of coaching golf. Cause I didn't have, to be honest with you, I could play, but I couldn't teach as well as other sports. And so sometimes I just had to rely on, uh, on some, you know, psychological instincts that I had. And, and that was one of them that I, that I think about made a difference.
And Joel, the other thing that's fascinating to me when I look at your coaching path is you've coached both, uh, you know, boys, girls, men and women. And, you know, I've talked to coaches and they admit there's there's a very different approach sometimes in how you approach, you know, a, a men's team compared to how you approach a woman's team in in your direction. And you've really focused a lot on the women's side. What's what's had you gravitate towards that? Do you enjoy coaching the women more? I don't enjoy coaching uh, the women more than the men. What I would tell people is athletes are athletes. And when you treat elite athletes at the college or professional level, um, like athletes, they respond well. When you teach them as athletes, they respond well. When you try to categorize and say, well, you're a guy, so you should do this, or you're uh, a girl, you should do this. Um, I think that's a big mistake. I think the, the, the athletes at the professional level, at the college level, at the highest levels of this sport and hockey um, respond just by treat by being treated as athletes. Are there differences in the game? Of course there are. You've got size and, and weight and strength and, and different com- capacities that are that are going to be, you know, they're, they're obvious. Um, but that doesn't mean you treat the athletes any different in terms of the expectation of every Monday. Here's what we're doing every Friday. Here's what we're doing. Um, so I think that's been my biggest um, learning in, in coaching both men and women is they just want to be treated like elite athletes. Um, and then you adjust to the game according to what the game needs. And if you got a bunch of guys that are big and heavy and strong, um, then you adjust your game plan because your your team might be a little bit light and a little bit slow. But that's not a male-female thing. That's just an opponent, an adjustment issue based on how you stack up against the other team. So I, I just I've always learned um, and I always appreciated the fact that I get to coach elite athletes and I'm not going to treat them any different just because they're a male or female. We have a lot of listeners who are coaching, you know, amateur sports. And, you know, so you're coaching at a very high level now. Obviously, you're coaching at the highest uh, level possible for women's hockey. And, uh, you know, you got some great athletes going to the Olympics, lots of pressure. But you coached younger, you know, uh, varsity kids. I don't even know if you coach like, you know, uh, junior high or, or middle school age. Can you talk about how how that approach has to be different because sometimes, uh, you know, amateur coaches, they listen to a, a, a guy in your staff say, well, I'm going to do what Joel does, but the players aren't necessarily capable of those ages of understanding things or doing it. So how, how did you evolve as you started coaching younger kids and then got up now to elite athletes? Well, you know, I think the best example of that is, you know, I had the privilege to coach my daughter's team. I got roped into it, uh, you know, when she was a U12 or whatever it was. And I said, yeah, I'll show up for practice. Next thing you know, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the coach for the team. And, um, you know, I what's ironic is I think the best coaches at the highest level don't really change their approach um, to the youngest level. They might change their language, their terminology their, their expectation based on physical capability, but they don't change the values of, of how they coach. And that means, Hey, let's make sure every day people are working hard. People are listening. People are having fun. People are being encouraged. And, you know, some of those really foundational basics. And, you know, I remember one, one, uh, one example of that is, you know, we had a a fun game. It's coaching U 12, and uh, I said, hey, who's got the hard hat or who's got the game winning trophy? And, and, and somebody said, well, we don't have one. I said, you know what? I got one in my car and, um, and I just forgot to bring it in. And so I ran out to my car and I grabbed the, the snow scraper out of my, out of my car. Um, 
I, you know, live in Minnesota for, for anybody that doesn't know, you know, cold weather climate. And uh, I, I, I got that. And, and we, we presented that trophy because it was the hardest worker, just like a snow scraper is on your windshield in, in the dead of winter. And I'll tell you what, I, get, I keep getting more stories about that snow scraper from a U12 team than I ever have on any other accomplishment, whether it's a gold medal for Team USA or a national championship at the college level. I get more people talking to me about, remember that, remember the snow scraper that you, that you handed out and then we pass that around. So I, I think good coaches um, just find a way to dive in to the relational side and stop worrying about the wins and losses. And I've told every team I've coached, including this team USA, who were excited in a few days to head over to Beijing. I've said the same thing every time we're going to be measured on the color of the medal that we come home with, but we will never be valued that way. And so that's the, that's the encouragement that I've given every team I've coached at the national level, all the way down to the U 12s is we're going to be measured on wins and losses. And that's why we play the game. It's fun to win. It's, it stinks to lose, but we're never going to be valued that way. We're going to value ourselves based on how we treat each other, how we communicate off the ice, how our families interact, how we love each other. And, uh, and that, that to me defines how a coach can, can be a national team coach and be a U12 coach. And I think the best ones can do both, uh, you know, on a Thursday and then on a Friday, the next day with a different team. So Joel, now let's focus a little bit on your, uh, your Olympic squad. Now, of course you were the, uh, the head coach of the, of the U18 uh, women's program uh, from 2015 to 2018. So you probably coach a lot of them there. Then you being that you were an assistant coach uh, with the, uh, with the women's national team for a few years. And then of course you got the, uh, the head coaching gig uh, in 2021. So you, you, you know, this team inside and out. And you talked earlier there about, you know, we're going to be judged on what medal we get, but not on how we value USA comes in now as the defending champ, right? And it's just, you know, it's obviously you want to be the defending champ because that means you won the last time. But let's talk a little bit about the approach because the Olympics is so different for me because it's four years and man, you, you work so hard for everything and you don't want to get caught up too much in the moment, but at the same time, you can't let it pass you. So how, how is this as much mental coaching for you as it is actual on ice coaching in such a, a high pressure stake situation? Yeah, you're, you're spot on. It, it's, it's as much mental, you know, we, we talk about getting off the bus with the right team. And when we say the right team, we say, in the right team with the right mental approach and in the right shape. And then we can make adjustments as we go. I think, um, you know, on the Olympic side, you work four years, you work hard for four years so that you can get to two weeks and you work hard for two weeks to get to two hours. And I stole that quote from a friend of mine who, um, uh, Hugh McCutcheon, who was a, a longtime volleyball coach for USA volleyball. But that's what, what I've heard him say is, you know, you, you work so hard for four years to get to two weeks in the Olympics. And then you work so hard for two weeks to get to two hours on that gold medal game. And I think it, it's, it's a big mental piece, um, that, that, that's hard to solve when you win. Um, you look great. And if you don't win, you know, you feel like a, a, you know, a failure. And that's why I go back to those values. Um, I want to be measured by the color of the medal because I think our players have a, a desperate desire to win. And I think that's what makes the highest level of athletics special is when you get teams that are so passionate about winning, um, 
you know, they'll, they'll do anything. And so I know that the, the group we've got uh, down the hall and in, in, in the room across the, across the hallway, I know that's what they're preparing for. And so it, it's, it's not, that's not hard. It's, it's reminding them that, that also a duality of the moment is being okay with, with whatever happens, knowing we did whatever we can. Um, and, and the hardest part in that is myself if we don't win gold, it's going to be a disappointment. It's going to be a failure. And, 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 and we all know that. And so I think, you know, whether it's Canada or Finland or Switzerland or Russia or whoever else is our competition, you know, you know that, but that's what makes competition so great. But I think that the, the special part of, of the opportunity is having that duality to say, we're going to live the right way. We're going to treat each other. We're going to value the relationships. And also we're going to get after it. And we're going to, we're going to make sure that we are measuring ourselves based on that expectation of, of excellence, because I, I can't think of another way to go about whether it's a professional team at, at any level. Uh, certainly the Olympics are the highest level in, in, in women's hockey and, and frankly, in, in any sport. Um, so it, it's, it's, it's more mental maybe than it is physical, but I'll tell you what, it's an, it's a privilege to be a part of. I can just hear in your voice, the excitement knowing, you know, Hey, the Olympics is close and it's a, you know, it's a wonderful opportunity. There's very few people though, that get to be like Hillary Knight and participate in her fourth Olympics. How much do you lean on a veteran like Hillary? I know you've, there's other ones, but I want to focus specifically on her. This is her fourth one, likely her last, you know, it's hard to go in five just cause you know, the, the span of that time. So, and, and every Olympics is different. This one, of course, with it's in China and, and COVID and everything like that. So you guys are, you know, quarantine and kind of almost how, how is this one being different? And what's the conversations like with Hillary, who's gone through three of these before? Yeah, well, I've, I've relied on her more than more than anybody else um, because I've asked her, hey, what, what should we be doing here? You know, what, what's your advice in, the, in these situations? Um, you know, Hillary's a special person. Um, obviously, she's a gifted hockey player. She she has accolades that that are really going to be tough to duplicate for any up and coming hockey player, uh, male or female in, in the sport. But what impresses me the most and, and what people don't really see until they get to, to the privilege to be around her, like, like those of us here is what, what she brings off the ice as well as on the ice. Um, she's a gifted leader. She, she leads quietly at times. She, she leads loudly when she needs to, um, you know, I, I just, I can't say enough about Hill and, and how she replicates and demonstrates the excellence that's expected of anybody that puts on the USA hockey sweater. Um, and, and so I look at all the, the, the long history of USA hockey and the success in the Olympics and international competition that both the men's team and the women's team have had. And I can't think of a better representative than Hillary Knight. And uh, of course, What's unique about the women's hockey game is so many people are like, well, we're just waiting for Canada and U.S. It's one of the best rivalries going, arguably the best one right now because it happens all the time. And you just had it recently, of course, the World Championships in the fall. Joel, do you like the, the move to the World Championships in the fall? Would you like it to stay there permanently? No, I, I think I think it would be better suited, to be honest. I think it's better suited in the spring or, or okay. late, you know, late spring. Um, 
you know, just because that, that fits in the traditional hockey season a bit better. Um, you know, obviously the IHF is going to make whatever decision they make. Um, I think if, if they switch the entire uh, international calendar over to world championships in the fall, then we could all hit the reset button and, and plan accordingly. But I think this was a, kind of a one-off um, you know, it certainly was tough because we, we couldn't train much over the summer and then everybody had to show up a little bit, you know, in, in a weird spot and then quarantine and do all the things. But, but I think, uh, what, what's impressed me most is the USA hockey, uh, corporate side and, and the, you know, the IHF in general has, has done a good job trying to keep these tournaments going in the midst of a pandemic. Um, and there's certainly going to be criticisms and, and I, I've, you know, has questions on my own, but, but I look at the, the, the totality of, of how it's been approached. And I, I think we're, we're all on the same page, just trying to play games, trying to get more things going for, for both men's and women's hockey. And, and I think, uh, hopefully we get back to some sort of normalcy, um, with, uh, with routines back, uh, in a couple of years. How do you balance team USA but also St. Thomas. Um, you know what? It's a simple answer and it's a very um, strong and, and passionate answer. Um, the, the people that are around me uh, make it easy. Um, you know, our, our coaches at Team USA, Courtney Kennedy and Brian Pothier and Nick Walters and Steve Thompson, you know, are kind of our core coaches. And now we're adding more people um, to that mix. And the administration with with Nick Bryant, Katie Million and others make it easy on the Team USA side. At the St. Thomas side, you know, uh, starts our athletic director, Phil Eston, you know, just totally supportive. Jason the friend is just totally supportive. And then our, our coaching staff, Bethany Browsen and Marty Sertich and Allie Borgstrom are, are just fantastic. So um, I can't, I, I wouldn't do it. I, I just show up and kind of just navigate different rinks at different times and, uh, and try to lend whatever uh, help I can. And I don't say that uh, in, in false humility. I say that very sincerely. Um, that's the reason why I think it's been able to work and it's been working well. Does being the head coach of Team USA help Joel Johnson, the recruiter for St. Thomas? You know, I don't know. Uh, I, I think what helps Joel Johnson, the recruiter, is to present the same thing that I've always presented, no matter where I've been at Division Three or Division One hockey, men or women, and that is I would like to provide an atmosphere and an athletic experience and an academic experience to be a total person that makes a difference over four or five years as a college athlete. And that's a little different than a national team level, but I'm telling you, that's what it means to me um, to really go after it and say, we're, we're about developing the total person. Um, and so I don't know if it helps, no idea. It probably hurts sometimes, probably helps sometimes, but I'm not concerned about that. What I want um, for any college athlete at, in any sport is to find a place where they love being where they're at and they have a relationship with the institution, with their roommates, with their classmates, with their teammates that allows them to, to just jump in and have an incredible experience athletically, academically, socially, and spiritually. And I always tell players whenever they find that that's where you should go. And if that's at one institution, then go there. And if that's at another institution, then go there. I told my kids the same thing, told my daughter who is in college right now, the same thing. Don't go where I want you to go, figure out where that fit is for you. And once you find it, 
um, you're going to absolutely love it. Joel, can you give us a little bit of behind the scenes, kind of pull the curtain back on what's the plan for, for Team USA, the women's hockey team, once you arrive in China? What, what do you have to do? You know, the, the strict protocol rules and everything else. How's it going to look the coming weeks? You know, it's a great question. I think we're figuring that out. Uh, we just, we just today we got our, you know, uh, our, our, our flight plan and, and, and the details on what that's going to look like. So I think there's a lot of unknowns. I think the first thing we, we need to do is adjust to the time change. Um, we've had some, some great people with the USA hockey support, um, talk to our team and give, give us some references and give us some support and how to deal with that sleep issue and, and adjusting our body clock, if you will. Um, and then, you know, we've got three games that are all at 9 PM, you know, Finland and, and, and so on. It's, that, that's the first game right before the opening ceremony. So I think our first goal when we get there is to say, all right, let's get ourselves physically ready. Let's get ourselves mentally ready and then let's figure out a game plan because we got a game against Finland. And then once that happens, we hit the pause button and then we reset again for the next one. Yeah. The nine o'clock starts. I know that that's, you know, that's happened the last few times. That's, that's pretty challenging. Cause you just, you know, usually the game's ending at, at nine o'clock. What's, what's some of the, the best advice to, to adapt to the, to the time zone change and to get your bodies acclimatized as quickly as you can. Well, I, I'll steal this from, from a couple of people we had speak to our team, but it, it's, it's starting to work out and starting to practice as late as we can prior to traveling to Beijing. And then when we get to Beijing, you know, to stay up as long as possible to actually get some workouts in that late, what ends up happening just randomly is we, that that'll actually fit our body clock coming from, from where we're coming from, we're, we're, you know, we're going to spend a few days in Los Angeles, but when we get, when we get to the, when we get to Beijing, it, it'll actually work out. Okay. okay. <laughs> you know, because we'll, we'll, we'll probably be up and active at that point. So um, it, it'll be a challenge though. I, I, you know, I, I know I've traveled enough overseas uh, in, in a variety of situations where it's a, it's a, it's a tough, it's a tough spot to be in. But I also think when you get in that moment, adrenaline picks up and there's so much great support, whether it's nutrition, hydration, um, mental skills, et cetera, that, uh, that we figure, figure out a way to be motivated for that game time. And uh, one last one, and then we always like to have some fun and end with uh, rapid fire. Um, when you look at, uh, at at hockey in the United States, of course, one of the big stepping off points was the miracle on ice back in, in 1980. And then for the women's game, you know, winning that gold medal has, has been huge. But so when you when you try to have team bonding stuff, Joel, are, are you guys will you ladies sit down and watch? the 2018 gold medal game. Like, is that kind of one of the final steps just so they can see, Hey, this is our goal. We've done it before. I know that there's some newcomers on the team, but there's a lot of, you know, uh, Hillary Knight and Brianna Jenner and many of the other ones. Do, are you a big believer in visualization? Will you watch the gold medal game from 2018? Yeah, I think we'll mix in things all the way back to 98. You know, I'm sitting in a, a team lounge right now. Where we've got pictures on the wall from, from all the people that have come before us and, and that's one of the things I'm, I'm really grateful uh, for about USA Hockey is is we 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 integrate the past with the present, and so we'll uh, we'll we'll figure out how to watch whatever we need to watch and and get motivated because there's some of it's that's emotional. There's some of it that's reminding you of of how special it is and how grateful we should be. So yeah, there there will certainly be some uh, some opportunities to to take in everybody that's come before us, because I think those players have paved the way for the success that has been in the past and, 
and uh, hopefully the success that will be in the upcoming months. All right. Okay. We always like to end with rapid fire. There's only one rule. You have to answer the question. All right. So uh, All right. here we go. Uh, Joel Johnson, um, after a big win, what is your cocktail of choice? You know what? Um, I don't have a cocktail of choice. Sometimes I get home and there's a glass of wine. Otherwise, uh, I just go take a glass of water and go to bed. <laughs> okay. Uh, do you eat pineapple on your pizza? No. No. What's your favorite non-traditional pizza topping? You know what? I, I love, uh, there's a Devani's pizza chain here in, in Twin Cities. And, and I love uh, just uh, extra sauce, some green olives Ooh. and cheese. And that, that would be my non-traditional choice. Okay. Having coached golf, which one of the women's Olympians on your hockey team is the best golfer? <laughs> Boy, I don't know. I, I think uh, if I had to pick somebody to, to hit a tee ball, it would be Grace Zumwinkle. If I had to pick somebody to uh, to hit a, a pitching wedge, it might be Kelly Panic. Okay, all right. So different skill sets, a different. Yeah. Who has the best overall game? I have no idea. I know no, they you... probably all beat me, but uh, but that's okay. Okay, so you guys have never had a golf tournament with your team yet. No, we, 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 we've done a few uh, golfing activities, but uh, never, never really got into it that way. Who is the, the quiet, highly competitive woman on your team that maybe a lot of people don't know about? Boy, you know what? I, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, disappoint you not giving you one name. I, I would say our goaltenders, um, you know, all three of them, you know, Alex, Cavallini is, is, is that way she can be a vocal at times and not and, and Nicole Hensley can be vocal at times and not Maddie Rooney can be, but I think they're all, they, they play a quiet game, but man, don't cross them. <laughs> Joel Johnson's on bench personality is blank. Man, I, I what I would love to say is that, uh, that I'm supportive and encouraging and intense and holding people accountable all at the same time. Biggest change you've seen as a coach from 2000 at the college level in the women's game till 2022. Uh, speed strength and, and in particular with the puck, I think the game is so much faster now. I think the puck skills are, are remarkable. Um, size, the size of players comes in, into play a little bit, but that's in relation to their speed and, and puck ability. So it's been pretty impressive to watch. How beneficial would one single pro league be for the future growth of the women's game in North America? You know, I don't know the answer to that. I, I'll, 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 I'll just say, I think eventually it's going to happen. I don't know when and where and how, but I, I do think that that will be a positive for the growth of the game, whether it's sponsored by the NHL or sponsored by somebody else. Uh, I do think that's hopefully where we trend. Um, no, no different than any other sport. Um, when you can solidify and, and come together, uh, it, it benefits everybody. And Joel, if, if we play, I don't know, maybe you're not a what if guy, but indulge me for a second. What would be, the idea, like, obviously you're going to win. Let's say you won the gold medal. Yeah. What do you say post game 
as a gold medal Olympic coach to your team. Have you thought about that moment? Yeah, uh, easy. Uh, I would say three things. One, I love you guys. Uh, two, I'm proud to be a part of this. And three, let's go home and take a nap. <laughs> uh, do you know what, what's the food of choice at the, at the Olympic village? Do, do you know, like, do you get to bring in a lot of your own stuff? How's that going to work? I think uh, from what I've heard, the athletes are going to be taken care of incredibly well. Uh, so many, uh, so much variety of food and, and all really prepared well by the Beijing Olympic committee and, and the IOC. And so, so I think our players are really comfortable going forward. Joel, we really appreciate you taking some time. I know it's a hectic schedule. Uh, best of luck. Uh, get to China safe and, and all the best. And I know the hockey world will be watching uh, very intently for uh, for a gold medal rematch. Many of us, I know it's not a for sure, but many are expecting. I'm sure your group the same. Canada, U.S., one more time. It's It's arguably the greatest rivalry going in all of hockey, men or women, right now. Yeah, I feel the same way, uh, and I encourage people to watch because it's uh, there's nothing like it. Uh, the intensity, the rivalry, the respect, the integrity of the game, uh, the pace of the game, everything is. It, it should be a, an exciting tournament, and I can't wait to get there. Awesome, Joel. Thank you very much. Thanks. Well, there's Joel Johnson, the uh, head coach of uh, Team USA. And, uh, Frank, is there a bigger rivalry in hockey right now than Canada-U.S. in women's hockey? Nope. The problem is we don't get to see it all that often on the biggest stage. Obviously, once a year at the Worlds, we had a pandemic and only saw it once then. Uh, I just wish we could get more of it. Yes. Uh, and it's interesting. I know you and I were both in favor of having the World Championships in the, in the fall like they did last year and kind of keep it there and become a marquee event. Uh, Joel was like, eh, unless they change the calendar. And I guess from his perspective, having coached in for three years, he understands that maybe that one was really different. Although I wonder if if he had that thought because they weren't really allowed to train and they just had to show up. But uh, yeah, that would be that, something to watch. That's tough. But it was also the most eyeballs the sport has ever gotten. Yes. So I think if you're trying to grow the game, you take that trade off any any day of the week to 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 accommodate more eyeballs and and do it at a time when there's not a lot else going on to give everyone something to watch. Yeah, I would agree wholeheartedly. I'm looking forward to uh, to that. And then of course, uh, hey, hockey, the Olympics uh, this year. There there'll be names we know, some young players on 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 a lot of the countries that uh, we'll be looking forward to. So we'll see see that. Uh, Frank, we'll talk to you on Friday, and uh, hopefully by then you'll be a hundred percent. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Saravali and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Delivered by DoorDash. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second or a nail biter in the third? 
that's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.